Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is Hungry Shadows, written by Nicola Lombardi and Joe Weintraub, and narrated by Manny Realguy. What do you mean your shadow wants to eat you? Mark sat submerged in the small easy chair in front of me. It's just like I'm telling you, Johnny, that's what it is. As he spoke, he rubbed his hands along his thighs. In a small cage hanging from the ceiling in one corner, a parakeet shifted position on its perch. The aroma of incense, blending with the stench of droppings and birdseed, combined to make my visit seem unreal. Just the fact that he had called me at that late hour revealed the extent of his despair. As far as I could tell, he seemed to be in the grip of one of his periodic attacks of nervous depression, presumably due to his use of drugs or alcohol. We had been classmates in both middle and high school, and then life led us down different paths, at least outwardly. I hadn't heard from him for months. Then that evening, he was determined to drag me from my house, despite the February cold. I tried to humour him. So you really think these... these characters have unleashed some sort of curse against you? He was scared to death. From the moment he had opened his door, a half hour before, I understood that his nervous condition must have been desperate. 
With a troubled expression on his face, he scanned the deserted street before closing the door, and then, proceeding down the corridor in the semi-darkness to the living room, he kept a slow pace, looking about in every direction, almost as if expecting to be assaulted. I followed him without saying a word. Once we reached his living room, he flattened himself against the wall and implored me to enter first. Following, he skimmed along the walls without touching them until he reached his chair beyond the side table, where the lamp placed there lent an aura of drowsiness to the space. They've done it, Johnny. They've cursed me. They're bastards. You've got to help me, or else I'm a dead man. You can do it. You've studied these things. I knew what he meant by these things. I had been a seminary student for some time before realising that my future was elsewhere. Still, some friends, Mark among them, enjoyed calling me Father Johnny. It even amused me sometimes. You can help. I know you can. They're the devil's spawn, Johnny, and I'll bet you've heard all about them too. What he told me, or better yet, what I managed to gather through his hysteria, sounded both sad and menacing. Adrift in his lonely pilgrimage, searching for a radical change in his life, he had recently linked up with a group of characters encountered while surfing the web. A cult. In fact, a satanic cult. He'd spent some time with them, undergone degrading initiation rites, taken part in orgies, abused hallucinogenic drugs, and drunk the blood of small animals. In short, given his congenital weaknesses, he was swept away. But when asked to carry an allegiance to their god to its extreme, he became truly frightened. Abducting and killing a child went far beyond what was, for him, only meant to gratify a desperate and puerile need for escape. He needed to get out. When I said that to the high priest, he replied that I could never leave, that they would track me down. Then I threatened to spill everything I knew, even though I had never seen their faces and didn't know their names. But I could get them all into a hell of a mess. That's what I told him, that pig. And then he spoke some words I didn't understand, some rotten little spell. He touched me on the forehead, told me that... So he'd finally come to the point. They'd cursed him, or at least he was convinced they had, which amounted to the same thing. Briefly, they had foretold that his shadow would possess and eventually eat him. They had expressed themselves in precisely those terms. From that moment on, two nights ago, Mark had begun to slide down that steep slope that leads to madness. He had banished sunlight from his home and had confined himself to living with dim little light bulbs that could contribute neither body, form, nor power to the threat he now constantly faced. He had become terrified of his own shadow. Exhausted both mentally and spiritually, and having found no one else, he thought of me, hoping that I might have the power to take actions against the black spell that had been cast against him. Really, I was sorry for him. Mark, you know that these things can only be a figment of your imagination. You always were very impressionable. If it's proof you want, I can accommodate you. He got up and approached the parakeet's cage. Just watch. That said, he jiggled the cage door open. I heard him whisper something like, Sorry, Budgie. And while the terrorised bird fluttered from one part of the cage to the other, Mark slipped his hand inside and seized it. I suspected that he was about to do something quite unpleasant. Now watch closely, Johnny. 
don't look at me, look at my shadow. And he moved into the centre of the light cast by the table lamp. Nodding his head toward the wall at his back, he waited for me to shift my gaze to the silhouette, dusky and indistinct, that the light cast behind him. Then he turned sideways so that he could keep an eye on both his shadow and me and brought the parakeet up to his face, gripping it as he would a microphone, holding it just a few inches away. Watch the bird, and he slowly rotated his torso to create the illusion that the shadow was bringing the parakeet to its mouth. And now, he lowered his jaw, then abruptly snapped it shut, biting down hard. At just that moment, the parakeet let out a pitiful screech. Mark stood motionless for a moment, as if to savour the success of his crazy little stunt, and then he turned toward me. Well, what did you see? I didn't know what else to do except nod. The bird lay dormant in his fist, its tiny head bent to one side. Blood could be seen between its feathers, and that same blood was running down Mark's thumb and wrist. Certainly watching his shadow, I was under the illusion that it had indeed opened its jaw wide and snapped the animal's neck, or at least that of its shadow, with a single bite. But in fact, it was clear that my unfortunate friend had killed the parakeet with his own fingers. I wondered if it had been done with the intention of deceiving me, or if he truly believed his own shadow was capable of such a thing. Mark seemed alarmed as I rose from my chair. The dead parakeet fell to the floor like a feathered whisper. What are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. Without hesitation, I reached the wall where a switch lay. Posing the tip of my finger over it, I turned to look at Mark. His face had become, if that were possible, even paler. What? What are you going to do? Please, don't. Giving him no time to move forward, I pressed the switch down. From the wide chandelier overhead, a powerful beam of light burst out, extinguishing the shadows generated by the table lamp and creating hundreds of others, completely new, thicker and black. No! Mark staggered backwards and collided against the wall behind him, the back of his head shattering the glass display, framing a jigsaw puzzle depicting a drab maritime scene. He brought his hands up to the back of his neck. He could have broken away, or leaned over, or done just about anything else, but instead he stood there, upright, as if glued to the wall, crying out in anger and pain. It really seemed that something behind him was holding him there by his head, preventing him from moving away, forcing him to submit to some unthinkable torture. Mark was moaning, doing everything possible to break away, without success. He would have liked to have stretched his arms out towards me, expecting that I could pull him out of this mess, but to detach himself cost him more effort than he could manage. Behind his neck, a stain of blood was spreading against the wall. And the most difficult thing for me to bear was the certainty he was doing this all by himself. Auto-suggestion can be the most lethal weapon on earth. Certainly he had been injured by the glass, and probably even by the nail holding the picture frame. But I knew that in his mind he was sure his shadow had seized him from behind. I turned off the light. His reaction was immediate. The tension in his body propelled him forward and with a groan he fell over the side table, crashing through it. The lamp shattered, leaving the room submerged in darkness. Slivers of glass and wooden splinters greeted Mark with a raucous clattering, 
and while a stream of curses flowed from his gullet, I said to him in a soft voice, This is what I can do to help you, my friend. It was then that I turned the light back on. This time he cried out at the top of his lungs. I was grateful he lived in such an isolated house. Having managed to rise to all fours, his elbow gave way, forcing him to collapse on his side. Then he was on his back, continuing to thrash about. The light poured down, leaving him helpless against all his fears smouldering inside. As if he were stretched across a white-hot grill, he arched his spine, only to fall back down again, victim of an invisible power that forced him to lie flat in the middle of the splintery rubble. And already, more blood was welling out from beneath him. The wood, the glass, and the fragments of ceramic, I believe, having wounded him severely. From the terrifying abyss into which he must have plunged, he turned toward me in desperation. A few steps brought me to his side, but not close enough to risk being grabbed by him. As I stared at him, I confess that I felt an ache in my heart. Frankly, his agony was becoming quite unbearable. I'm sorry, Mark. And then leaning over him, I finished the job. A shimmering mist hung over the sidewalk, encircling the yellowish glow from the street lamps, and I was grateful for the cover as I headed home, allowing the final images of my poor friend to penetrate into my soul. But we really couldn't let him go and blurt out everything. Besides, the oath he had sworn was clear and binding. And to think that up to a few days before, I had not even imagined he was one of us, given that we maintain absolute anonymity, guaranteed by our silence and our masks. Following his dispute with the High Priest, the only one who knows all of us, he had predicted that Mark would soon be coming to me for help, and he did, right on time. It had been easier than I had expected. Mark let the power of suggestion and his shadow possess his soul. He was convinced it would kill him, and for him that's exactly how things turned out. Really, I felt sorry for him. He was with us for just about a year, and already he believed he had acquired equivalent powers. But it takes at least six or seven years of experience to be able to get a result like that. And that's why I chose to finish him off. Leaning over him a little, placing myself between him and the chandelier's light, I saw his face turn into something unrecognisable, mauled by invisible teeth. And when his throat opened in a burst of cartilage and flesh, I sprung backwards. It would not have been wise to leave there with clothes covered in blood. No, his shadow would never have been able to eat him, no matter how much he was convinced of the opposite. His shadow simply could not do that yet. But mine certainly could. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Hungry Shadows was written by Nicola Lombardi and Joe Weintraub, narrated by Manny Real Guy, edited by Duncan Muggleton, with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. Quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshua Boucher and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington, the enigmatic spellbinder, weaving intricate incantations of content. 
After 30 years of writing, three novels, six collections, one film adaptation, multiple translations from the English, Nicola Lombardi is considered a master of the horror genre in Italy. His first collection is in English, The Gypsy Spiders and Other Tales of Italian Horror, was published by UK's Tartarus Press in December 2021. Find out more about him at nicolalombardi.com. Manny Real Guy was forged in the centre of a supernova 10,000 years from now. He rides the cosmic waves and feasts on dying planets, shooting out stars. Deeper Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives Licence. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.